Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave, a rainy warg. To all of you space burgers out there, let's get to part two with Matt Kirschen, a great conversation. Here you go. So there were a few things we left off on, or, th- or things in the first part where I was kind of trying to draw them together or they would come up and I'd like, I'm going to store that in the back of my head. I think they all kind of come into what you were saying about the peak and kind of that being like a threshold. And one of them was the first time someone just intuitively knew it. So the three stages that it was Tao, the mathematician that you referenced. Yeah. Terrence Tao. But yeah, he talks about, I think it, I think he calls it like the heuristic stage or the, the intuitive stage and then, and then the, the rigorous stage and then post rigorous, which yeah. is, you know, where he, he sits very, very comfortably in that world where he has this sort of intuitive idea of everything, but he has the sort of the rigor to back it up. So I remember, a, a just an acquaintance. I can't even really put a face to it. Just someone, there was this problem we had all really struggled with and he goes, well, I just knew that from the math. I mean, acceleration is just the antiderivative of velocity or something of that effect. Maybe they mm-hmm. maybe have that switch. And we were all like, what? And he was like, well, yeah, if you have two X to the, to the, th- to the cubed, just bring that down. And then that should solve for you what your velocity is. And then if you think about that in terms of like miles per second squared, you're like, oh yeah, that is, that mathematically checks out in that it's per a number squared versus feet per second so acceleration right. is just one step so the math in that lines up that oh yeah that was once that, that happened that was actually that was a useful trick in physics exams if you couldn't remember the formula but you could remember units of measurement always correspond to the equations into the way they're put together yeah so if you know something's measured in feet per second then you know that or or, you know, or miles per hour, whatever, you know, speed is miles per hour. So that's okay. Miles per hour. So, you know, that must be distance over time. That was my feeling of being on the field and suddenly knowing we're supposed to kick it into that goal. It just so many things lined up of like, oh, that's what all this is about. This, this has a practical application feet per second. We're doing this should work this way. And then uh, in dynamics, it was similar. We had a professor that was like, he couldn't figure out, he was like, if you put your, similar to if you're doing current and, you know, if you like wrap your fingers around and I forget that one too, but your thumb is the direction of the current and then your fingers, I think it's always with your left hand, right? So like oh, reaching I over. To, weird, I, I just had to, I was writing on a science show um, during lockdown and one of the things we were talking about was motors and generators and I had to relearn that because yeah, there's the right hand rule and the left hand rule and the... But but I I I think of that as as an example of sort of 
it is a bit learning by road because I don't I don't understand I still don't understand why. Yeah, it's your your thumb is the, uh, I think is the direction of motion, and then your first finger is the magnetic field, and your <laughs> your middle finger is the current, or it's the other way. I can't remember. You you hold your th your thumb, your your first finger, and your and your middle finger at right angles to each other. Yeah. And then one of them is the direction of the 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 electric current and one of them is the direction of the magnetic field and the third one is the direction of the movements that the motor yeah. the generator moves in. This comes And then up... there's also the grip rule as well which is the other one where if you you grip around it uh which way is it and like the way your fingers are pointing if you're gripping around a wire your thumb points in the direction of the current and then your finger your fingers grip around in the direction of the magnetic field. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's like IRL or something like that. I being current. And then yeah. so the rotation goes the way your fingers are. And so like we'd be taking, you know, tests and every, everyone every once in a while in the, in the classroom would be holding up their hand, kind of nodding their head. And I, I saw this professor in dynamics do it because similarly with like all the weird finger stuff, it was a motorcycle going around a, a track that was slightly sloped and so you have velocity going forward but he's like you always have acceleration working in this case you have gravity pushing you out because of a centripetal force and then you have acceleration working in because so you have to lean into that with the bike so he's doing all these things with his fingers but with the math on the board next to him we could all sort of see it and be like Oh, this is this is making way more sense now mathematically. And I remember having like a TA, and he, I think the first semester had had dreadlocks, Colorado, a lot of hacky sack, real life. <laughs> Where in Colorado? Uh, Fort Collins. I went to Colorado State, and the oh, okay, uh, cool. A lot of outdoor music festivals and a lot of like. I know. You know I bet I know Colorado very well. Holly oh, is a... Holly's from Colorado. We're getting married in Colorado, and then I uh, there's a. A new comedy club in in Fort Collins that's great. Yeah, the I mean, when I was in school, looking up open mics to try to get onto, and now knowing that club is there is sort of bittersweet because I feel like, oh man, if that had been there, I mean, maybe it's just too accessible now. But it was just if yeah. you didn't have an acoustic guitar, you weren't going to really be doing open mic when I was there. But so I, mean, I had this dude that like had shaved his head off, you know, his his dreads off, and kind of worn smaller, less corduroyish pants. Or maybe he's still stuck with these baggy-ass corduroy pants. He was a really likable guy, and he was like, he had gotten to this place that sounds like you were getting close to, and then you bailed out, whereas he was like, I just go and sit in, the, in nature sometimes, and I watch the wind blow through the trees, and I feel like I mathematically can explain virtually everything that's happening around me, so I just sit there, and I'm a part of it. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think I ever got there, but also, I also have my suspicions about whether anyone uh like i remember having one moment that was maybe an enhanced evening <laughs> where i where i found myself thinking that and then in the cold light of day of sobriety i was like did i i did i, I don't think i understood shit i just, it just kind of like <laughs> felt like those connections were being made in the same way that you know you feel 
people who don't have any kind of scientific or mathematical training might go like, I just felt connected to everyone and felt like, you know, I understood what everyone was thinking in the room. I'm like, did you though? <laughs> if I, if I took you into a side room and tested you, you're like, what's she thinking right now? What would you actually have said? Like, you know, I just, it's just a feeling that I understood her. <laughs> and I think that's how I felt that night about like, I just had a feeling that I understood all the mathematics. And then in the morning I was like, you did you fuck? <laughs> you, did, you didn't understand. You, you just kind of felt, warm while you were thinking about it i i thought of you it with him good. more you're, 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 you had serotonin flying off while you were yeah and dopamine while you while you're while you were pondering it but it doesn't i i don't know if that necessarily means i actually understood a damn thing i'll bet it's similar to when people go to those churches and they speak in tongues and for a brief minute they feel like it's real and everyone can understand them and hear them and from for me when i when he was saying that i was thinking of like yeah, I guess in theory, if you understood the wind, you know, and the airspeed, even the fluctuations yeah, and, within, there'd be like... And maybe that is what he, you know, if it, if it's that case within limited means, then he probably did. And and there is something, there is definitely something to appreciating nature more if you have an un understanding of some of the scientific underpinnings to it. There is something quite nice. Yeah, I guess if he's looking at the... he's you know, he knows some fluid dynamics and he's watching a leaf falling from a tree and the way it's rotating and, and moving oddly down. And he's kind of thinking about the eddy currents around them and, you know, the way, uh, the way the wind's pushing it that way and the, the different pressure points. And yeah, he probably is getting a certain, like an extra lift from that. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do him a disservice because I don't know what sort of level of claim he was making to himself or to you. And there, there is definitely something to that. There's definitely something of like, oh, I understand the world a bit better, and it's, and if if you're you have the kind of brain that appreciates it in that way, maybe the world feels a bit more beautiful because of that. Maybe the world feels a bit more beautiful to you because you, you know, some people like just see that gorge, but you're thinking about the river that carved it out, and you're thinking about the forces over time and the and the huge a huge amount of time that it took and the almost unimaginable millions of years. And that's, and that's quite cool. That's quite cool to think about and to, to have in your head while you're looking at this carved rock face. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think the knowing, and that's where like when you burn out, it's, it's probably a myriad of things of how much is there to know? And why don't I know this? It's right in front of me. If you go to like the simplest, the closest we can probably get to like, two-dimensional motorcycle at this speed ramp at this incline how many cars can i jump over every daredevil ever has had to at some point consult someone who knows math and knows dynamics or you know but then you yep. get up i'm going to be 30 feet high what are the wind gusts like up there well there's that's unpredictable but if you're wearing this type of suit and you're going this fast you should be right you know we, but we then can, also ideally would then run a bunch of tests to see if the mathematician has got it right because <laughs> right. you know you might forget a factor or you might not realize the thing or it might turn out that your initial theory as to how it works doesn't quite match the reality of the practical version yeah or you might have lied about your weight or you're not factoring in the gasoline in the tank if depending on how precise you have to be or that yep. you have too many buckles and shit on your suit and they're catching wind and, and just those little fractional things that if you could know all of them and maybe people mathematically that are like in a controlled environment of just this equation so we're eliminating mm -hmm. all this it's just the numbers that has to feel pretty good to just go 
yeah, this this isn't a moving body through actual air with atmospheric variability. This is just in this vacuum of on the on the paper or wherever I'm choosing to, you know, work on this problem. I could see the knowing being almost addicting in that way. Yeah. Well, I think any any expertise can feel good. Like that 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 same when you're talking about like a, a motorbike jumping a jump, a carny who has maybe no formal mathematical training, but has done that jump a bunch of times on helped other people do a jump <laughs> a bunch of times and just knows like, nah, that guy's that guy's two hundred and five pounds. You're gonna need a, that ramp to be an extra half a foot longer. How do you know? But just you just do. Like he's he's two hundred five pounds. You're gonna need half an extra foot there, otherwise it's gonna be bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, but there is a. a yeah. The, the did you ever go to a carnival? There's a guy standing there. I mean, I can picture this so vividly. Just arms crossed, crappy tattoos, like a sleeveless Guns N' Roses T-shirt, and then that can't be done. And he just casually turns around and whatever it was, throwing the thing on the floating lily pad like a ping pong ball into a shot glass or the ring over the milk jug or the hardest one, there's a basket and there's a softball, like, you know, uh-huh. and lob it up so that it lands on the lip of the basket and rolls down but doesn't bounce and come back out. So you have an elastic collision or inelastic, depending on how you look at it, that was going to send that ball out if you throw it too hard. So you throw it right to the middle of the basket you're like give me my stuffed animal and it comes bouncing back out and this carney would just be like here you go there's so much in like the spin of the ball the trajectory at which it hits the lip of that basket it's all math and physics and dynamics and but he just has done it over and over when no one is looking so just like you're saying with like the mountain or the motorcycle jump yeah i I know it because i like but you also realize with a thing like that it's just you know muscle memory and trial and error and 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 practice outweighs theory every time with a thing like that yeah like oh you could it doesn't it doesn't help you at all to like i i could i have a i could probably study i i don't think i think they're still doing a lot of the studying on it but like i think i could study how to curl a perfect free kick uh in in soccer and football around around a wall and into the corner of the goal <laughs> and know exactly what the you know the how air temperature and humidity might affect it and the amount of spin on the ball and so on. I couldn't, that wouldn't help me. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't help me one bit. It wouldn't help me do anything other than probably like toe stub it into the guy, into the first (laughs) defender's shin. Like it's just gonna, it's not, I'm not gonna be able to do it. I don't know how kids treat each other these days, but I get the sense that nerds being beaten up by jocks and things has a tradition as old as time because if you see someone holding the bat in a way where you're like, oh, you're not going to get the bat speed around there. What you want to do is stand this way. And that way you're increasing the surface area that the bat can ap- approach the ball. And then that person goes, shut up, nerd. And they hit a home run. And then <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, sorry. I thought mathematically my version should work. But again, like, you know, it's, it, it's still, it's still generally for something like that. It's so much more of an efficient process to just do, you know, to trial and trial and error, trial and improvement. Just keep doing it and working out what works. And and same goes for if you're designing the the Carney game. Like you can you can kind of think about it, you can you can sketch it out, but you really what's gonna work to design those games in the first place is trying different lengths of elastic and trying different sizes of hoops and different sizes of balls. Yeah. And in the case of Carney games, there's 
hundred plus years of accumulated knowledge so you don't have to do the experiments yourself but someone once did <laughs> someone once sat there with with some rope and some string and some hoops and they tried different versions and then they they kept trying it out themselves and got their friends to try it out and they worked out which one's the shortest version and that's it's or the which one has the hits that sweet spot between looking just about doable but having a really low success rate yeah uh, and gen yeah that that when it comes to something like that, that's still that's going to be theory every time. It's it's. But when you're in school and you're like, I would guess most of it is more theory, more theory, more. When you're getting presented with solve Denouche's third, and you're like, what? But people rip through it and then like in Goodwill Hunting, if people came in and saw it on the board and went, oh, someone solved Denouche's third, most people don't know what that is. Most people don't uh-huh. know if it has been solved correctly. If I just went up there and just drew a bunch of stuff with well, arrows and things and then went, I got it. Most people well, that, like, But that's also the thing. Like, at, at, even at uni- undergrad university level mathematics, you're not, you're not solving or proving anything that hasn't been proved before. Right. You're still learning how to... You're still learning how much better mathematicians than you proved something Yeah. 100 years ago. Uh, like you're not or 50 years ago whatever you're not um you're not creating new stuff mm-hmm. but you're, you're sort of learning the techniques and you're gaining an appreciation for it and and you're learning though that like that person that was you know in a village with no access to books that just intuitively derived oh, you some about yeah like that just having that in the brain when you're studying it you're learning oh i don't have that brain that has been concretely established for me that i at yeah, best well, will romana jam was was a freak i mean just like that's a you know one in a billion freak where <laughs> but why does it exist i don't i don't know i mean like but you know he he was yeah because he he really was one of those sort of like i i don't know he just had a had a brain that was wired in a particular way that and just happened to get hold of enough complicated math books wherever he was that he that he then started solving his own things and managed to write a letter just by chance to the right professor in <laughs> in Cambridge who happened to take his letters just seriously enough to kind of repass his initial gut feeling, which is here's another crank mm-hmm. to realize that, that what, what now? <laughs> uh, hang on a second. This guy's actually, all right. And then invited him over. Yeah. But that, that, that's a one in a, I don't know. That's, that's a, well, where did the, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm trying to get it like the burnout could just be, be for so many reasons. You've been in school for a long time. You're, you're just sick of it. And, or there's a part of you knowing someone like that exists and you're trying to manage probably your own confidence, a little bit of ego of like, I'm good at math. Math kind of says something about who I am. And then you reach a point where you're like, I just, I'm not that person. Is that any factor of it? Or is it strictly just like burn out? Uh, it wasn't burnout for me. It was. It was like I just hit hit my level, hit my wall. But, but also, I think I. Something like that is just such a different thing, anyway. That you you know you're not that. Maybe not everyone, but like you know you know you're not that. That's just like another. That's like another thing. That's like its own. Category, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a point that I I went to university thinking like I could hold my own with any of my fellow undergrads, mm-hmm. and in my first year I could pretty much. Uh, and then and then in my second year and i don't know whether if i had 
had the organizational capabilities and kept doing the work and hadn't, you know, didn't start skipping lectures and skipping assignments, whether I would have still been okay through university and even like, you know, whether I would have been able to do anything post-grad, maybe, I don't know. But, but I know I was never going to be one of the top people. Like I know, because you, you do realize but I realized at a certain point what the top people really were and how good they were at this subject. And like you say, also how completely committed and hundred percent, like, like thinking about it all the time, but also being able to think about it in a deeper way than I ever could and having a, like a deeper understanding and just as a deeper facility, like a, a facility with it, just a, an ease. But are you having conversations with them and realizing like I've hit my level and that's one thing, but it's another that like, they're still as enthusiastic and they're progressing and they can communicate it in a way where like, I'm kind of falling out of the loop where I'm starting to go, wait, what? How, how, I'm fine. Yeah. Well, but also I, I also had that thing because I hadn't, I missed so many lectures and I missed so much stuff by that point. So there was just a whole lot of stuff going on and, and it's a cumulative subject as well. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like mathematics is cumulative. Like it builds on the previous years, the previous courses there are different courses and they're there in my third year when I was allowed back in when they probably shouldn't have done, but they did let me go back in again for my third and final year. Like I, I really cherry picked courses that had the least um, previous requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that relied on the fewest courses that I'd missed and the, and the you know, yeah, like you need to have done uh you need to have done groups, rings, and fields one if you want to do the second course. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not doing that one. I that's that's so. how my grad class went, where I I had taken differential equations or like maybe even the second level of that. And I get in and knowing, I think the professor had said to me, like, you did not take this course. You won't understand this. But then I see a symbol that's similar to the differential equation, like that looping kind of two. It's not a D, like uh-huh. you've been, you know, D in re- regard in relation to DX or something like that. It's this two yeah. kind of thing. And I'm like... It's a lowercase delta, I think, is the thing you're looking at. <laughs> it's a two, Matt. And okay, a little two. <laughs> it's a little two. And I'm like, I start doing that thing where I'm like goodwill hunting myself. Like, I'm going to just... I didn't take that other class, but I it's math. I should be able to intuitively understand what's trying to be communicated here. This must be all D in relation to so I start moving stuff around and separating this over here and working this problem out and then just zero percent credit. And I thought yeah. that was so funny that like math doesn't hold up, even if you think it should in a way like, well, it can only be math. I mean, two plus two is always gonna be two plus two, but you see like something so different. Yeah, well, but that, that's, that was a, that was another thing. That was the other sh- sort of, I guess, shocks of the system was high school. The subject was generally sufficiently easy and I had enough of it that I'd locked away that even if I hadn't learned that specific thing, I could generally just about derive it mm-hmm. in in the class or like in the exam. Like I could work it out if I was really stuck. I could just just about work it out from first principles. God, that's but, the best. I would have been. I am still very jealous of that skill. I think it's but, just such a gift. But it hit. But I. But that was like my limit was being able to do that at high school. What I yeah. didn't realize is university, like even undergrad, even like first second year of undergrad, you you can't do that. You like you don't. 
you have to have learned how someone who is smarter and had a lot more time than you worked it out originally and remember that because there isn't going to be time to do that in the exam again unless you're like uh uh like a romanajan or a von neumann or an euler and they're all freaks and they're all dead so <laughs> you're not that uh, like you can't like you can't do that you can't do that in the exam it's not gonna happen um and uh and i hadn't learned that stuff <laughs> the 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 feeling of that of when you <clears throat> you've seen something and you it's like looking at black and white silhouettes of cat oh that's supposed to be a bat that's a, okay that's a dog and then all of a sudden something is like an ink blot but everyone else sees it and go oh it's it's this and you're like i'm just seeing like None of this makes sense. I can't. How are you? What are yeah. you seeing in there that's a thing? And everyone's like, it, oh, I see it immediately. But, but it, because they had already <laughs> trained themselves how to see it. Yeah. It's like it might as well have been written in like a different alphabet. Like, might as well have been written in like Russian or Chinese. Like, I don't even know the alphabet to read the words, let alone start translating them. I can't. <laughs> I remember writing down some of the equations just on loose paper and stuff, thinking like places that I thought, I'm going to keep this. I want to like stumble when I'm later in life. I want to open up a book and see this and go, oh my God, at one point my brain used to be able to intuitively know the answer to this. And right now it looks like alien scribble. It just yeah. is so weird. that, And that goes back to what we started off talking about is at one point your brain was full of that and you could remember it and conjure it immediately. And now the terms the language that it's written in all of that is so foreign to me it's like a, lif a different life that i had that all in my head yeah but probably still have some of the brain processes you know some of the the way of rationalizing the way of understanding things is yeah. probably still in there hopefully i know that like you had been talking about uh Working with uh, a former person you were dating, their child. I had that when I was tutoring where I would just very simple like algebra. And I would, you know, be a lot of like work this problem out in regard to X, but it wasn't stated that way. And so I'd be looking at it going, what? And then I'd have to look at the answer, see how they got there and then immediately go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, you know. Right. Yeah. I had that, you know, during lockdown when people are posting their you know, the beginning of lockdown when everyone's having to be a tutor to their own kids. And then people were posing like, what is this thing? And I'd sometimes look at it and go like, I don't know what this question is. If you, yeah. If you tell me what the answer is that they want, I can understand what it is they're actually asking. Yeah. Cause their, <laughs> their vocab has changed since I did this and okay. Okay. So that's the way they want you to, okay. Now I understand it. And that... but then you, you, you write jokes for a living as, as do I. And there is, there are there are parallels between the way you trained your brain at university to do that kind of thing and writing jokes and like writing, you know, coming up with connecting ideas that weren't previously connected and trying to do it in the concise, most concise and neat way that you can. And you can, I guess, in theory, write out an equation that ends with equals, you know, 3x squared plus 2y plus 7. Say that's the mm -hmm. answer. <clears throat> you went x, y and then just this remaining number. But in, but really, you could mix that up in any direction you want. It's kind of aesthetics. And yet at the same time, right? that's one of those that sticks out to me with jokes where someone will but say like... Aesthetics is also like... This is something that I... I actually, I, I, I always liked about the subject, like right from high school through to university was 
I like the aesthetics of mathematics. It's a lot more. It considers aesthetics a lot more than you'd think it does. In the, for example, certain true proofs are thought of as being more beautiful than others, mm-hmm. and 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 that often comes down to the uh, both the ingenuity of it and the conciseness of it, um, which definitely is the same when you think about jokes that you love. Like, there's definitely parallels that that something that gets from this idea that then reveals this different idea or turns your turns yeah. your concept of what you thought you were talking about and then goes like, oh, these two ideas are connected in a way you previously didn't think they were connected. But the person who can do that in the most ingenious and also concise way has written the best joke on that subject. Absolutely. I, I kind of doing like a, an assessment or, um, oh, there's a word I'm looking for, like an an inventory of myself as a comedian and knowing that like, if you just popped your head in the room, it's, I, I don't think you're going to like go, go in. Maybe, you know, everyone appeals to someone differently, but someone like Mitch Hedberg, there was a, like a symphony to it. And he, he had this weird writing cause his dad, I believe was like an architect or something like that. So he was very design uh-huh. oriented, this very strange, like think of an N that is, two vertical lines that are one inch connected by a diagonal line that's eight inches. This sort of writing, like very strangely, almost like the Mac thing, you know, like design wise to break it up. And so a notebook of his would look, I think, fairly aesthetically pleasing just in that regard. And yet the words all being where they're going to be, or like the aesthetics we were talking about, like the ending of a math problem, you know, you'll sometimes you find a joke and you're like, then the cat got tripped over. That's like a broad joke. But anyone reading that would be like, no, no, the cat's got to be the last word. You're like, oh, tripped over the cat. And everyone goes, right. right. The, the reveal has to be that last bit, the last thing. And Mitch Hedberg is so good that like when he found this voice to deliver it in, that was a perfect vehicle to just kind of sing songy and kind of silly so that you could pop your head in the room. But knowing that virtually no word was wasted, that it was structurally like an equation that had very beautifully underlined answers and you know, yeah. very clearly written out, you would go, oh, that's very aesthetically pleasing. It it, abs- it absolutely is. And, and then it's also like, again, this is when it comes to mathematics, this is, again, a level I never got to because I never got past that sort of like to graduate school and post-grad where you're starting to really, you know, branch out and try and solve your own things and carve your own path in the subject. I was still very much at the understanding and parroting other people's creations mm-hmm. but when they are doing that it, it's about and same goes for science in general it, it's a lot more about asking the right questions and like it's about coming up with the right premises mm-hmm. if is the is the joke writing um uh equivalent like i i i find i find writing a joke really easy if we've already got the premise like, so I, like I'm generally very good at tagging other people's jokes. Like I'm pretty, I'm good at that in a writer's room. And I'm good at that if, you know, I'm gigging with a friend and I'm just like, Hey, you could say, you could add these extra five tags on the end of your bits. Um, and, and I think that's because that's like the, Oh, you've already done the hard bit. You've come up with a premise. Yeah. You've come up with the idea, but you've also just left a couple of equations unsolved. And here is, here is the little solution to the ends of those <laughs> equations. And that, that I find really easy. My brain is really well wired for that. 
the really difficult bit is coming up with those equations in the first place. Is or, or in, in general writing, it's like coming up with a good premise, a good meaty idea. Like once you've done that, like throwing an extra five punchlines on the end of it, that's a piece of piss. That's a simple. <laughs> that's just that's mechanics. I think it's, I would, if I'm honest, I bet I err more of being kind of the opposite of that, where I come out of this cave with this thing that I feel like I'm brushing off and going, oh, wow, I didn't know that was in there. I'm glad I found this thing. And so, and you would come along and be like, did you do this? And hit it. And I'd go, I, I didn't think to hit it like that. And then yeah. <laughs> it's like five, you know, equally great little finds in there to be like, oh, right. I, I got so like worn out or wiping my brow from this part that I, it sometimes is hard to step back and look at it. So it can be easier for your friend's work or, you know, something yeah, that you're... Well that- that's that's definitely true and it's i'm sure it's true of me as well i've had friends give me much like like tags on my jokes and stuff because again it's very easy to fall in love with the first version of a joke oh yeah unless you and and, and, until you accidentally say it differently on stage one night and it gets a bigger laugh and then you're like oh okay but then you fall in love with the new (laughs) version of it and then you don't even think like hey if i was wrong about the previous version of it maybe i'm Maybe I'm still wrong about this version. Maybe there's another version still. You just go, nah, this is the one. <laughs> this is. But math always kind of stays. Once you've proved that theorem or something, it, it kind of is locked in that that is it. You can't you, really go around it, which is you, nice. It, it does, but it's 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 also there are there are different ways of proving something, and again, like some are more prized than others, but also sometimes. And again, this is the sort of getting into the higher level stuff that I never got into. But like you're in the course of doing that, you end up opening up more questions and opening up more ideas that then you're like, OK, well, now we've shown this is true. But in the the things I had to develop to land on that thing, the methods that I had to come up with, the techniques that that I intuited and and derived well now what happens if we apply that to that yeah and, and also if, if you're in the world of if you're if you're in the world of pure mathematics as well then you're kind of it, it's so sort of abstract in a way that you you're kind of yes it's based on things that we all understand as uh universal truths like like the system of numbers and this is a five this is a seven this is pi this is whatever (laughs) but but then they're they're like creating concepts and objects that sit around these this world and sit in this universe and then they're playing with these objects so it's more like it's almost like creating puzzles and then solving those puzzles but then going well if this puzzle is true what other puzzles does it show up and then what what are these sort of constructed objects that we've devised that sit within these world like this idea of this idea of a group that is a is a is a set and an operation yeah. and then this set and this operation has these properties but then if the, if if the so like as the the set of whole numbers between 1 and 10 and the multiplication operation and then but those two together what properties do they have when we play with them and then what if that's infinite or what if it's like this or what if it um and then what are other ways of dividing these and what are ways of combining these things and what do they then reveal themselves and it, it get it gets so abstract that it's almost like 
if you're doing it properly, you, you can't help but ask more questions in the in the process of answering it. Yeah. I love that because that opens up the thing that we're always kind of scared to really delve into, but then also knowing it it's not finite. You know, a, a computer beats a human being at checkers. Oh, no. Yeah. It's finite. By the way, I just realized now this is numbers between one and 10 and multiplication couldn't be a group because you wouldn't have an inverse. But uh, thank you. Thank you. For I was just, I just about to thought, say that. <laughs> I was like, that's that's wrong. That's definitely wrong. This is just deranged up memory. But you, you, there'd need to be an inverse in there, I think. I, I think. hope there's someone that's listening that was like, I'm about to write an email. And they got maybe addition and a modulus sign in there. I don't know. I remember asking my dad when I was a little kid, like, won't they at some point run out of combinations for notes and lyrics and every song will be done? He's like, never. There's just too many variables. And with thinking that way with chess and then finding out it's kind of finite. Like all the versions of every game that could be played have been played. A computer has logged. Yeah. Well, I don't think a computer has, because there's so many versions, but a theoretical computer could. Yeah. Chess, chess is, chess is theoretically finite. Yeah. And chess is a game of perfect information as well. Like it's not like poker where there's, there's no random element to chess. You, there's no different random cards that could be drawn and Mm. there's no, hiding information from your opponent you know exactly you know at any given moment every piece on the board and every legal every move that is legally able to be made and it's finite there's only a finite number of moves a finite number of pieces there's a finite total number of moves that could be made in in so yeah chess theoretically has a solution we don't know what it is but it theoretically <laughs> is a finite game and every combination of chess could be played yeah now, that's what music okay. is. Music's a bit different. Music. Yeah. The, I was thinking of it in terms of like you mentioned, you know, building on like this could be, I was talking to a comedian friend one time that had this really long bit. It was kind of a story. And he was like, Oh, I, the first time I did, it was just kind of a premise and some and just probably a, a Matt Kirshen type, someone that could see all the five different ways to add to it came over and was like, you know, that's like a 10 minute bit. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, you gotta. And then you think of these filters that are kind of like the finite, almost like the rote elements of why is this this? Um, Who who was the first one to do this? Why is this acceptable? What if we did it in this? You can run through these premise machines and kind of go to a finite place of no, 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 no. That's been done. That's been done. That's been done. Or, you know, some comedians have a, a formula where they just take a premise and feed it through this machine and it comes out at the end and they've gone through every, who was the first? Why did they... You know, they they go right through it. Yeah, but I think every, everyone has their tricks, but there is there's always got to be something else as well on there. Like I remember seeing, like Laurie Kilmartin once tweeted out her, um, oh, like the the segue thing or the setup to starting. Yeah, a like joke. her monologue sort of connector list. Yeah, and it's because uh, she she was the mo- monologue writer for wrote monologues for uh, Conan for years, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's. The monologue jokes have a much more structured and formulaic than general stand-up jokes. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was like a, I can't remember the specific connectors, but they're all things like because there's always like news story, connector, punchline, <laughs> and it and and her list of connectors phrases were just think you know it was is things like in other news a something and there would be like an analogy yeah. joke or or furthermore or uh, the last time all, that know? was yeah the, yeah uh... last time that was there it was a but it was all these connectors. But then what's missing from that is 
Laurie Kilmartin's brain, which is a highly tuned, extremely good joke writing, yeah, like creativity vessel. That you know, you could hand that joke that list to a bunch of people, and they would produce terrible hacky monologue jokes. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> I sometimes it still wonder. Sort of teach you how to write the joke itself, like, and she's still making a more imaginative connection to this thing. But it's like, so yeah, it's, it's that weird combination of like uh, structure and formula, formula, but then creativity. And and there's definitely mathematics and theoretical science has that as well for sure. Like where it's like there are techniques, there are tricks, there are methods that you use, but. Um, there, like there are there are standard methods for proof that you learn. You you learn like high school or first year stuff. You know, there's like reductio ad absurdum and proof by induction. Things like, uh, and reductio ad absurdum is just proof by contradiction. So you just you want to prove this thing is true. It's often easier to disprove the negative statement. Mm -hmm. So like the simplest one, one of the first ones you learn is like proving there's an infinite number of prime numbers is well how do you do that well what you do is you first assume that there is a finite number of prime numbers which would mean that there is a theoretical list of all the prime numbers that you could write out and this is the last one and then <laughs> it doesn't take too long to show that if you were to multiply all those numbers together and then add one you would have a number that doesn't have any divisors in that list of primes but like every number that isn't prime has to be divisible by a prime or be prime or it's prime itself. So you've just constructed this new number that does that is a contradiction. So you're like, okay, contradiction, there's an infinite number of primes. Um, but that's a standard technique and that's used all throughout mathematics, but it's used at the basic level like that for this proof that's existed since the time of the Greeks. <laughs> and it's used for the stuff that is at the very cutting edge of stuff that I couldn't even begin to understand the stuff that you need to begin to understand the stuff that you need to begin to understand it. Comedy is going to have things like that at some point in that the very basic, almost like a prime number of who's on first, you know, no one's going to really recreate that any better. It, it is stamped in as like, yeah, a, well, a, I, 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 I've seen lists from time to time where people have gone like, there are seven basic jokes, joked structures. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm always slightly. I don't buy into that either. Yeah, I, I, but but again, there there are basic structures that we all know that we all use. You know, there, there's an analogy, there's a reversal, there's you know the pullback and reveal. There is, and um, and all of those are you. There's there's metaphor. They, that all of those things are used for the hackiest jokes and the greatest jokes. Mm -hmm. you know, pullback and reveal is is one of the most frequently hack joke premises the the <laughs> sort of the mo you know i uh i don't want to go the, the i don't want to go into school they will make fun of me but you have to you're the teacher the, the, i uh yeah oh i, I was, I was with this off loud... and then i got thrown out of this public place that i should that you assumed i was in my bedroom but actually i was in a public location my favorite uh, of those is uh this guy's just yelling at me yelling at me i finally said hey cut it out dad and they're at like a baseball game or something we're like this guy's pouring beer on me he's yelling at me the whole game and yeah. finally dad you know the that reveal but it that's probably only 20 years old so there are things that like very quickly yeah, no, get that, overused that, that reveal that joke's beat that that's 
that is a structure that's been around forever. Yeah, I'm you're sure right. Of it. You're right. But but what I was gonna say is there's an emo Phillips joke that I will not do justice to, but the one about his parents telling him to never open the cellar door. I uh, don't know that one. Like it, and it's like you the, all the time when I was growing up, like don't open it. There's things behind that you don't want to see. It's a scared. Like, don't open the cellar door. And one day they were out, so I opened it, and the things I saw the. The sky, trees, the, <laughs> the, you know, uh, that's a pullback or reveal joke. The whole joke is it, as simple as that. You assume, you assume he's he the the door is leading into the cellar. You pull back and reveal he's been locked in the cellar through his childhood. <laughs> like that's a it, that is exactly the same shape of joke as yeah 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 hey cut it out dad yeah that's a good exactly point. the same joke but it, but it's been used for this brilliant emo phillips line and it's been used for the, a thousand dog shit pieces <laughs> of hackery so you're right it's the all the, and that probably goes to me asking my dad about songs you know you have the the inflection of every different singer's voice and how indelibly different they all are because of these little micro changes in whatever it would be yeah. there, you know, that, so there's just think, so many variables. Yeah. I remember thinking as, as having this thought as a kid, when I, I had a, I think an early computer at school, like when it was like, we didn't have a computer at our house, but we had like the computer, the, the room at the school that has two computers in it, <laughs> which is, is aging me. Uh, but one of the things you could do is get it, it like it could play notes, play musical notes in this sort of visual oh, this basic yeah, yeah. program. Um, but I remember thinking like, wow, but if you could do that, you could program a computer to play a symphony perfectly. And it, like it would hit every note at the perfect inflection at the, uh, sorry, at the perfect moments for the exact perfect amount of time. So it'd be better than like any concert pianist. Yeah. At playing this concerto and, it, and then getting older and realizing that is the exact opposite of how music works. <laughs> that is the, that is the exact reverse. It's actually the it's the inflections, the imperfections, and the choices that uh, a musician makes of like those micro stresses and that slight rhythmic changes and and putting extra stresses on some on some notes and less on another and that imperceptible thing. That that's what makes one pianist great while another pianist is fine. Yeah. Uh, like if you had a computer play like a robot just playing that symphony perfectly it would sound horrible it would sound <laughs> the most it would sound robotic it would sound robotic in the most in the both literal and metaphorical sense and it sucks that we respond to those things in somewhat imperceptible ways because if if you knew them you matt kershen knew them and thought oh, I'm the devil. I can go sell out stadiums because I know the thing that's going to make me X as far as a comedian. Yeah. Say you say you know that and you go, nah, I just choose to be myself. I think authenticity is more important than that. But say you went, I'm going to do it as an experiment for a year and I'm going to show people how susceptible they are to that thing. We would recognize it instantly, probably as an audience and be like, ah, and move away from it. The things that resonate are like these little, they're not in math. There's not like a, as far as I know, like those elements of a John Prine voice or something where we're like, I like that. And there's no real neutral milk hotel. Like that Jeff Mangum's voice is terrible, but we all love that album if we've listened to it. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things of like, it doesn't feel like a put on. It feels like 
we can feel this, what feels maybe like authenticity or sincerity or something that a computer can't give you. Yeah. I, I, and again, I, I hope so. I mean, maybe, maybe in a few years time, that some AI will be able to play you a symphony <laughs> and, a, and a leading musician, a leading music expert will not be able to, will, will, hear authenticity and sincerity and quality in there that is entirely manufactured but yeah. I, don't, I don't know um easier with yeah, that I, though I than think, comedy i, I think guess. so it is those sort of like those choices those imperfections those there's something about it yeah people are always wondering if like a robot can figure out how to tell jokes and i would say oh for sure but how to do it in a way where we watch someone walk out on stage we've never seen we've already made a bunch of decisions before they've opened their mouth just subconsciously and then when they win us over with something whether it's a little non sequitur thing or some sort of self-deprecating thing or a mannerism something that makes us go like i think this person is really funny i think they make their friends laugh and i'm picking up on that because you can see people get out there and they know all the things they know, they've seen stand up on youtube or, and they watch a ton of it and they get out there and they are very rehearsed and wrote in it and you're like i can't imagine them making a single friend laugh so when we see these little imperfections, I could see a computer doing a symphony yeah. so much easier than that. I can as well, but I'm wondering whether that's because I'm I'm biased because I know comedy so much better than classical music. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. I, like, I should like I can yeah like we can you you can spot a phony in comedy a mile off because you have deep expertise in the subject yeah, whereas <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i can spot a phony in a violin that that's always been my problem i mean like there's a thousand problems with like but, but being a judge on something like you know, like america's got talent yeah where yeah you know, when they do last comic standing at least it's comedians judging the comedy and they're like they could spot a hack because they're also comics yeah like do you know what a hack dancing dog is? <laughs> I mean, like, I'd be horrified if I was on, if I was a judge on that show and put through like, like put through this guy go, that's one of the, that's one of the best acts I've ever seen. And then the whole dancing dog online community is like that piece of shit hack <laughs> doing the three moves that everyone, Oh, Oh, pirouette into a hop. And then the, oh, it's wearing a tutu. That is the most, uh, that's offensive oh. to me. I've yeah. trained so many Where, dogs. What is I... this, 2011? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I do I do know that at least, you know, I, I have an idea of that in comedy because it's my, it's my field. That is, that's refreshing. I got to apply that a little bit more because I think I'm, I can be a little too accepting of like, yeah, but the symphony thing without really going no they're the, the person who's dedicated their life to doing that would absolutely be able to have a computer or at least have the better chance i still would like to see it i i wonder if you can fake yeah. like a, I, I i wonder also whether it whether it might be something that is easier for a an ai to get to just because there are fewer variables. Like if you're talking about delivering stand-up comedy, you're basically dealing with the entirety of human language yeah. and then the ways you deliver those words. Right. 
and, and there, there is so much there are so many variables in that and any one of those can ring phony whereas if you're playing a symphony or if you're or you're playing or simplify it let's say it's one instrument but you're, you're playing a violin piece or a piano piece the the notes have the order in which those notes are going to be played has already been preordained by the composer of that piece right the, the... and then it and and then it's just a matter of how it's played so that there are there are a few of i don't know there are a few of variables or even if it's composing a symphony you're still like you said you're still dealing with the same smaller palette you're still dealing with these however many notes there are in an octave what is it like i should i should know the numbers like 15 four, 14 eight? i think of i think of everything as four and eights i don't know music very well because like how many i'm just in an octave there's obviously eight uh like eight regular eight white Do notes, and then there's the sharps and flats. And then, yeah, sharps, flats. Uh, but anyway, whatever that is, however many notes, that that's all you're dealing with. That's your entire palette. That's your entire count. The that, sincerity that, of a violin string being pulled on a rainy night, that like that little vibration we get in there that's just the, the pinky or the ring finger kind of yep. pulling and, and wiggling a little and just drawing the most out of that string, can that be manufactured? Can that be faked? You know, Vince Gilligan was real like, I'm film and nothing else. And then um, George Lucas had him come watch a screening. He was like, what was that, film or digital? And he's like, I think it was film. He goes, no, man, we're here. The future's here. Couldn't fool like lifelong film snobs. And that's when they knew kind of the uncanny valley had been achieved of we can switch. We can safely switch over to doing digital because it's no longer noticeable to the eye. And then I think yeah. of the Turing test – and one of the ways they trick it, if you see the one that, that actually beat the test, beat all the judges, it wasn't speaking like you and I are speaking. It was like a teenager. And I think it was Norwegian. So it kind of spoke with this funky slang that they couldn't tell, is this a teenager that's full of non sequiturs or is this a robot? And they all they all lean toward it being a person. But I don't think that fully counts. But I do think that would be hard if you could dress that AI up and it looked relatively human and it could walk out and be like, so I was at the grocery store the other day, take my heart, you know, just do something <laughs> so weird. And we'd be like, oh, that was silly and bizarre that they're good at comedy. We might just think they're doing their yeah, own just thing. Just controlled it as a, uh, just audio only just let maybe you'll listen to recordings or even maybe people just read a script mm -hmm. the, of, it's probably the simplest version. Yeah. Uh, have you seen, I think there's a, it's a Twitter account that, publishes like a fake person every day no uh i can't remember what it what the handle is but every day it generates it's like an ai generated non-existing person <laughs> it just goes this person is not real and it's and it's been designed by ai that's been fed oh and the one and they did they did a really racist one out of the gate like five years ago maybe oh maybe i missed that but like that they're getting better and better all the time. And sometimes there's some weird stuff. Sometimes like there'll be like an ear is off or there'll be like a like double eye or something, or just something's got or, like the corner of the mouth has some, some bizarre artifact. Weird. But then a lot of the time, even at close inspection, you're just like, that just looks like just any, that that's just a regular person. <laughs> that that's doesn't exist, person has never and, existed. Yeah. Who has never, never walked this earth. <laughs> Man, that's got to be useful for scammers to like, you know, if you're... Oh, it 100% you... is. Yeah. It, yeah. it definitely... Uh, yeah, I think there are like reverse... 
image searches that people do now to try and track. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it absolutely is because yeah, you can create entirely fictional people who are then you know, reverse image search proof and. Whoa! Oh man, we're getting into the math being real but then also theoretical humanity is that life our memories what we take i think we covered so much stuff man i i, I just i love this i hope you we can do it again this is really i'd love fun. to i enjoy this i think we've sort i think we've we've sorted it out we've, we've solved life <laughs> or we've We're hit on, on the right track ceiling. yeah we, we've at least asked the right questions where the game designers up there listening to this are like oh, we better throw up some new <laughs> smoke screens they're on to us they're on to us they're getting close <laughs> All right, man. Matt Kirsten, anything to plug? Any show? You said you have a show coming up. What else? This will go out Monday. Um, I think Monday is probably when I'm going to be heading off uh, to the Colorado for the holidays. So I, apart from maybe dropping into some shows, I don't really have any gigs, but I will be, uh, I mean, I guess probably science is just the main thing. Yeah. You, you uh, and still Andy, any, have you added any new people? Yeah. So oh, Jesse's back on the show as well, oh, which great. is nice. Oh, that's awesome. Because, uh jesse case was host co-hosting with us for years and then he he got ill for a bit he got uh he got cancer and went off back off to uh nashville to where his family is to get treated and now he's you know he's been in remission for years so he's good but he's also still in nashville which meant we couldn't record with him until everything went remote and now he's back on the show so that's great probably science in all the normal podcast places and then matt kirshen on the social media things that's great. Well, thanks, Matt. This is the best. David, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And sorry, again, for a little bit of a delay, you know, the holidays, etc. Uh, but I hope you had lovely holidays and are healthy and doing well and uh, staying mentally fit during all of this, recent resurgence, etc., and hopefully this podcast is a nice way to take your mind off of all of those things. Really enjoyed the chat with Matt. The chat with Matt. I enjoyed that. It was quite good. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. And hopefully we'll have him back and chat more and more. A lot of things that relate to life and all the little patterns and the combinations, puzzles we try to put together seem to all tie in through mathematics and, and just thought. I like the way he thinks. So uh, thanks to those of you who do support the show on Patreon. This show is brought to you ad-free by contributions from listeners just like you, Patreon slash Space Cave, and some behind-the-scenes things. I did a long ramble about the making of Big Nothingness. Uh, there'll probably be a part two to that. Um, I think I'll start putting some little snippets of things in there. And I pr- I always over or under-deliver, I should say. <laughs> I always over- no, I under-deliver. And I assume you are... Um, supporting the show on Patreon because you enjoy the show and not that you're just licking your lips like, there better be tons and tons of Patreon stuff. I do my best. Uh, We're all doing our best during this, so I really try to add as much stuff as I possibly can. And if you have suggestions or requests, don't hesitate. Pings at thespacecave.com, whether that's Patreon stuff, music, bands, subjects, uh, guests, whatever you like. Uh, feel free to get in touch. It'd be nice to hear from you. Um, so let's, and this will be one of the rare weeks where I think we'll have two episodes this week from from different guests. So look on your uh, podcasting app in the next day or two for part one 
of another great chat. They're all great, um, or at least for me. That's why I, I like doing this show so much. I really enjoy the conversations. And the more you rate, review, subscribe, all that, the more the, the podcast gets a, a, a footprint and, and, and feels like it's a viable thing so that when I reach out to guests, they go, oh, this isn't just some knucklehead in his garage with that convinced uh, his parents and two other people to like it on Apple Podcasts. So you can help in any number of ways. If you don't have the funds for Patreon support, feel free to uh, give a little thumbs up or a like or a rating. Any of that stuff all helps. Or just tell a friend. Even if you like the show and you just tell one friend, maybe that's all it takes. But uh, thanks for, for listening, and I, I uh, hope we have a, a pleasant 2022. I'll do my best to add to the positive side of that. And now let's get out of here with a song. I mentioned a while ago people who, through whether it's Professor Blastoff or The Junk Show or this podcast, have just kind of gotten in touch. And it turns out they're talented, wonderful people who want to help, want to contribute, share positive ideas, thoughts, etc. We've played a lot of his music, but I just think he's great. And I hope he keeps cranking it out. This is by our pal Krastovsky, who plays a huge hand in Big Nothingness. If you listen to the end credits, there's a whole story involving that that I'll get to in the part two of the making of Big Nothingness on Patreon, for those of you who do support the show. And uh, it's, what a guy. Just really came through at the last minute after a, a bit of a fiasco. So he's a prince, but also just a nice person. He's a space burger, just like you. This song is called Mental Green. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.
strange.